and a very warm welcome to our worship this morning, Sunday the 11th of April. If you're listening online at 11 o'clock, that's great. Uh, You might be joining us later and you're very welcome there too. We're especially pleased this morning that we've been able to reopen the church and we have um, a congregation gathered down at the Water Eaton Church Centre. So we're going to give you a little wave and perhaps you'd like to wave back at us. And if everyone at home would like to wave now. And those of you gathered at the church, you can wave back at us. And it's great that we've been able to open the church again for pre-booked seats. You may be visiting us online, uh, in which case you're very welcome too. We're glad you found us. Uh, We may not know you yet, but if you'd like to make yourself known to us, please do visit our website at spurgeonbaptist.com and follow the links where you can contact us and make yourself known to us. Our Minister uh, Kevin White is on holiday this week, so we're delighted that we have uh, our former Minister, Reverend Christopher Bell, who's agreed to take our service today. It's it's a special week for Chris. He has a birthday coming up, and I understand it might be a very special birthday with a zero on the end. Uh, So we're hoping that Chris and Anne, his wife, will be able to join us for coffee afterwards So if you're free to join us for coffee uh, on a Zoom link, please do. And uh, we can maybe quiz him about that birthday a bit later. So let's hand over to Chris now. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Leslie, for your welcome. It's good to share worship with you all, even if it is in a virtual way. We bring the greetings of Trinity Church in Fishermead uh, along with us. This is where we presently worship and have been doing since we left Spurgeon's. We bring these uh, greetings in these special words. May peace and love be your nature, and obedience to God be your signature. Well, Anne and I would also wish to take this opportunity to say thank you to all who have prayed for us. We've been very uh, appreciative of this, and indeed we've needed those prayers particularly over the last year during which I have been receiving treatment for cancer. So thank you for your grace and your care. Now let's commence uh, worship with these words from the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, and I'm reading from the new revised standard version of the Bible. Although you have not seen him, You love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So now let's pray. Lord of salvation, as we enter more fully into worship, Grant us your help to understand, know, and love you. Please affirm us in our faith and strengthen us in our discipleship. For your sake. Amen. So now we're going to have some responsive readings. I will start off, and if you join in with the bold print with Anne, that would be great. This is the place, and this is the time. Here and now, God waits to break into our experience. To change our minds. To change our lives. 
to change our ways. To make us see the world and the whole of life in a new light. To fill us with hope, joy and certainty for the future. This is the place, as are all places. This is the time, as are all times. Here and now, let us praise God. And our second reading. Rejoice, our Redeemer has come. Our sins are washed away. Rejoice, he shall renew the whole heaven and earth. Christ has come amongst us. Rejoice, he has broken death, and God has opened the gates of heaven. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Amen. Hello. Well, Chris's theme for today is Doubting Thomas, and I'm sure there are times in our lives where we've doubted things. I've certainly found some things hard to believe at times, and it made me wonder, well, maybe for a bit of fun, I would share some of those hard-to-believe facts that I've discovered recently. So here are ten hard-to-believe facts. Hard-to-believe fact number one. A gorilla can purr like a kitten. True. Hard to believe fact number two. There is no bridge across the Amazon River, despite it being 4,300 miles long. Wow. Hard to believe fact number three. Hummingbirds can fly backwards and also upside down. Hard to believe fact number four. When high-heeled shoes were first worn in the 10th century, they were intended for men. It wasn't until the 18th century that women began wearing higher heels than men. Well, there you go, chaps. We can all be grateful that we're not wandering around in high heels, I guess. OK, moving on. Hard to believe fact number five. There is a village in southern Norway called Hell. And every winter, it freezes over. <laughs> True. Hard to believe fact number six. A snail has over 10,000 teeth. Wow. Hard to believe fact number seven. Lake Superior State University in Michigan, USA, offers a unicorn hunting licence. <laughs> I wonder how much it charges. Does it wish the, those that buy it good luck? Who knows? True. Hard to believe fact number eight. The bumblebee bat is the smallest known mammal. Found in Western Thailand, it's an inch long and weighs less than an ounce. Wow, tiny little thing. Hard to believe fact number nine. In the Philippines, there is an island within a lake on an island within a lake on an island. True. I'll, I'll say that once again because that's a tricky one to get your head around. In the Philippines, there is an island within a lake on an island within a lake on an island. True. If you go on the internet, you can see a picture of it. Amazing. And lastly, hard to believe fact number 10. The film Forrest Gump has more CGI screen time than Jurassic Park. CGI, of course, standing for computer generated image, i.e. it's not real. So there's more CGI screen time in, in the film Forrest Gump than in Jurassic Park. Absolutely amazing. Well, I think all those hard to believe facts are quite amazing. 
And we've probably come across more things that we find hard to believe. Maybe we've even seen things and then afterwards have said to ourselves, well, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I would never have believed it. Well, that was certainly Thomas's experience. He was fortunate enough to see Jesus and be persuaded that he is God. Now, we can't see God, but we can believe he's there. And we can believe through Christ that our faith is assured. And that faith is reaffirmed in in the Bible itself, in Hebrews chapter 11, where it states this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is faith. I'm sure you've also heard it said that truth is stranger than fiction. Well, the Bible isn't fiction. It's history. And we can all be thankful to God that it's still around today for us to read. Let's all say Amen to that. Our reading today comes from John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. And I'm reading from the NIV version. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, this reading comes from John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. 
So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Amen. The title of our address today is Doubting Thomas. Now, Doubting Thomas are words that are not found in Scripture, but the ridicule seems to have stuck to him. Yet there are other gospel incidents which seem to show the doubts of others. In Luke chapter 7, verse 19 to 23, we hear of John the Baptist and the culmination of his ministry, which was to identify the Messiah. He's now in Herod's prison, and he seems to have a crisis of faith, since he sends Jesus a message. Are you the one who is to come, or are we wait to wait for another? It has the air of disappointment, or even disillusionment. He seems to be saying, this isn't how your ministry was supposed to work out. Where's the explosive force that was to sweep the enemies away, taking command and turning the world upside down? Have we got it wrong, with all our work being a complete waste of time? This challenges the messiahship of Christ and the nature of God's kingdom revelations, but doubter is a title that isn't re readily associated with John the Baptist. Dr. Larry Kreitzer says this, Far from representing a crisis of faith in John, this passage is better understood as a helpful glimpse into the very human situation of John the Baptist as he struggles to accept Jesus' timescale. A second example. Remember that strange day when Jesus and the disciples visited Nazareth. The townsfolk listened to his teaching gladly until he went deeper. Then their attitudes changed. They rejected him and intended to kill him by throwing him over the cliff. Yet these people had known him, watched him and knew there was significance and holiness in him. Although Jesus was mysteriously freed from their devices, it's sad that this was the last time he ever visited his hometown. What a terrible testimony for history to record this about them and the condition of their hearts as well. Perhaps this fulfills John chapter 1 verse 11. He came to his own and his own doubts and his own people did not receive him. Yet still, the title of Doubters is not readily associated with him. A third example of Doubters includes all of the disciples. John chapter 11, verse 7 to 16, refers to Lazarus's death. But Jesus was not setting off to see Lazarus. He was on his way to Jerusalem, returning there. The other disciples were afraid because of the obvious plots to kill him. Then Thomas says, let us go with him that we may die with him. So Thomas shows a faith that was prepared to die for the Lord. Then in John chapter 14, verse 2 to 4, on their journey to Jerusalem, Jesus said he was going to a place to prepare a place for them, but would return for them. And he ends by saying, and you know the way to the place I am going. I think there must have been an eerie silence that fell upon the disciples 
but it was Thomas again, who, perhaps seeing the puzzled faces of the disciples, spoke up and asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And in response, Jesus replies, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas seems to stand out because he was the one with the courage who wanted to know for sure and was not fearing the consequences. Again, I would say that all, apart from John, had by the time of the crucifixion left Christ's side. The disciples aren't shown any, any less of a doubter than Thomas. In fact, after the crucifixion, the disciples were cowering behind locked doors and windows. Jesus had to appear within those walls of defence in order to reveal himself in resurrection form. What caused them to lock themselves away from the hope of the gospel message? Was it fear? Or was it something more spiritual, a condition of doubt in their deeper heart that had to be revealed to them? When Jesus revealed his risen self to them, Thomas wasn't there with them, though we're not told why. Had he missed the moment? Perhaps Thomas didn't want to make a quick decision. Maybe he wanted to express profound faithfulness to Christ, not by keeping quiet, but by professing that he would believe if he was able to place his fingers in Christ's wounds from the nails and the spear. So, a week later, the disciples were still afraid behind locked doors, but Thomas was with them. Jesus was suddenly among them too, and he graciously agrees to this very intimate request of Thomas, to explore the mark of the nails and the spear, but Thomas doesn't need the evidence anymore, and he makes the amazing first public confession of Jesus as both Lord and God. Thomas shows us that if we are honest with ourselves and others about our struggles and doubts, really wanting to know the truth and seeking the Lord's face, then God will faithfully meet us and reveal himself to us in a way that satisfies our concerns. I know that even the faintest doubt can make us feel that we're letting God down, but if we have courage to ask our questions, then faith is able to break through to new ground for us, into a deeper understanding and greater maturity in Christ. We may be able to pretend we have a deep, unmovable faith to others, but we can't fool God. <laughs> it's not a matter to be ashamed of. We don't know it all, and we're not expected to either. But the Lord is gracious and understanding. Resurrection was so new, so astonishing. No wonder there were doubts. You and I would have doubted too. After all, Lazarus and the others who had been brought back from the dead, well, that's precisely what had happened. They were brought back from death, and they had to die physically again. But Jesus was resurrected. He had a resurrection body, no longer governed by the laws of nature. He would not die again. He had eternal life. 
So what does God ask of us? I think he's seeking for us to be willing to ask questions, to seek and strive further as we recognise that there is more to be discovered about Christ. We may doubt, but it's not doubt that will destroy us, but an unwillingness of our faith to question further. As for Thomas, he widened his eyes. And in his own time and way, he got his answer. That sounds like the Lord's generous heart at work to me. We all may need to admit a few things to ourselves so that we can travel further. If we can admit them honestly, we may find that no longer do we just follow the crowd, the consensus or the party line out of some fearful sense of loyalty to the cause. What really matters is love for Christ and his kingdom. And this brings out two issues for us. The first is personal and complex because we are asked to die to self every day as our daily submission of ourselves to God. I've been dying to myself for so many years and I'm still doing it. It can be hard and frustrating like Peter, we may have cried out, Lord, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. I hope I'm being honest when I say that my cry hasn't been a matter of doubt in the Lord, but one of recognition of the darkness of sin ingrained in me and in the world. Peter's cry was a call for the Lord's mercy, for the Lord to see beyond whom Peter was, and for Jesus to love him and to continue to desire Peter's company for eternity. Christ's great love is about an incomprehensively deep relationship with us, a love that will not turn away. Our sincere cries involve genuine surrender of self to him, and that is what opens us up to greater and deeper things. This submission is actually a decision about whom we actually love most and whom we desire to be in control of our lives. Submission to the Lord can mould us into the person that we are still becoming by his grace. The second matter is that of humility. Abbot Chris Jameson from the TV series The Monastery says that humility holds the deep connection between love and obedience because it remains our own will. When our will is surrendered, we are no longer captive to our selfish selves and we are freed to do the will of another. The Lord's will is the stronghold of our faith and our heart's desire. This is how we love God and the people he has placed around us, and how we love the world too. It is our wants, our worldly desires, that effectively drown out the whisper of God that contains his agenda for our days. Jesus is not embarrassed by what we hide internally, inside our locked doors and windows, nor by the secret agendas that we live by. However, he does want us free from them, the way 
the way to, re re to redefine our inner self and establish our new identity in Christ is this. Unlock the locked door and open wide the shut door. For he says, anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And this becomes a relationship that is deep and honest and restorative. One which invites us all to investigate, seek and find, both in the now of our lives and the eternity that is promised. So humility becomes the means to make our personal choice, to leave our regions of contentment with the status quo and to seek out the ever new agenda for life in Christ. Abbot Jameson reminds me that the Latin word obediah doesn't just mean to obey, but to listen to the otherwise unheard pleading of the world about us. A world which, according to Romans 8.22, is groaning and in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Listen to these things and God's agenda may be heard. And so may God's call for those with faith, like Thomas, to make the decision to be his active stewards. It takes real submission and real humility and freedom to draw our consciences to a new intensity so that we can decide to love like Christ. May it be so in your life and in mine. Amen. And so we come to our prayers of intercession. Let us pray. Our Father God, we come to you, creator and sustainer of all things, to offer you our humble and heartfelt thanks for the death and resurrection to life of your son, Jesus. Thank you that through your word, we too can be part of the Easter events. We can experience with Thomas the liberating truth that you have conquered sin and death. You are alive. And as you appear to Thomas, the women and the disciples, so through your spirit, you come to communicate and seek relationship with us. Alleluia. Lord, we have tried so hard to live better lives, to be good-tempered and considerate, to work hard for your kingdom, to watch our tongues and not speak hastily, to be cheerful even when things go wrong. But it's always the same story. Trying is not enough. We need you, Lord. Help us to catch your spirit through prayer and worship, fellowship and service, so that the fruit of the spirit will grow in us reflecting your glory. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our world, well, your world really, which we inhabit for a time. And we acknowledge that we have failed to properly steward the earth and its peoples. We pray especially for strength and stamina for those working for such organisations as Tear Fund, the Baptist Missionary Society, Toy Box, Leprosy Mission and many, many more working in areas where there is war and drought, famine, exploitation, poverty, danger. May they be upheld in their love for you and their love for the communities they serve, that light and hope may prevail where there is darkness and despair. 
In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. In these Covid days where we've been distanced for so long, thank you for the encouraging signs of hope. The declining numbers of those infected and hospitalised, the vaccination programme, shops and leisure leisure places reopening. Lord, we pray for those around the world who have suffered the loss of a loved one or more due to the pandemic. Too many for us to assimilate, but all known to you. Thank you, Lord, that you seek the lost. Bind up the brokenhearted and strengthen the weak. Bring them comfort and peace, we pray. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Closer to home, we pray for the two churches here at the Water Eaton Church Centre, for ourselves and for our sister church, St Friesweids. We thank you for the opportunities Easter gave, for shared services, times to talk together, for prayer times where we can hold those of both congregations before you. Thank you for your guidance in times past, remembered by some listening today, when you brought the fellowship here from Spurgeon Memorial Baptist Church in Fenny Stratford. Lord, we again seek your face. Again, we're looking to the future and we're asking what you would have us be, both for ourselves and for future generations, for the church and for the community around us. Please be with the PCC of St Friesweids and with Spurgeon's deacons and church members meetings as discussions are held around the feasibility study we saw and heard last month. We would know your will, Lord, and your way. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. We hold before you all those who freely give of their time and talents to bring us as much as possible of communal church life together. For those with the technical know-how to provide this service, for our musicians recording songs so that we may worship you, for those working with our Boys' Brigade and Girls' Association week by week, for our junior church coordinator, our pastoral care team, the work undertaken by our Rock Community Volunteer Organiser, the Community Larder, and for Kevin, our Minister. Lord, all these peoples and activities are impacting our lives, growing faith, nurturing hope in individuals and families. We thank you for them. We pray you will bless their endeavours, both now and in the future. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, as our schools return tomorrow, we remember before you the children, teachers and school workers in our own congregation who will no doubt have mixed feelings about returning. Thank you for the security of self-testing, now available to many of us. Please may we use it wisely to protect ourselves and others as we progress out of lockdown and towards a more recognisable normal life. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. And we thank you for Chris, who has led the service this morning. Please continue to work within him and with the medical professionals to heal and restore him to full health and strength as time progresses. We pray too for Jeff Colmer, our regional team leader and incoming BU president, as he undergoes stem cell replacement in hospital. May he too know your healing presence and strength. And for all those known to us awaiting or receiving medical treatment or experiencing times of sadness or loneliness, in your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer.
and we end our prayers this morning by sharing together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. And so now we move to our benediction. Thanks be to you, O Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits you have won for us, for all the pains and insults you have borne for us. O most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may we know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly, forever and ever. Amen. So now we can go out into the world, into the world and serve our Saviour. Bye for now.